For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. We now rejoin today's message already in progress. Now, in verse 9, God says, Go to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. And as we did last week, let's first examine the significance of the name of this place where Elijah was told to go. Zarephath comes from a Hebrew verb that means to melt or to smelt. Interestingly, in noun form, it means crucible or testing place through an ordeal, if you want to call it that. In the military, the crucible is the, it's not the final test, but it's like the culminating event that puts Everything soldiers and Marines have learned through their basic training is combined into one major event that tests their grit, tests their metal, tests their endurance, tests their skills, tests their knowledge. And by the end of the crucible, they understand, wow, I have done this. I can do this. Where just a short eight weeks prior to that, when I was a drill instructor and in formation, you get a right face and march off to the mess hall because the squad leaders were always on the right end. I would give them left face, left face, left face to get them pointed in the right direction. And I'd shout out, you people can't do anything right, you know, as a play on words instead of right face. But by the end of that eight weeks, they were doing almost everything right. That's why they could make it through the crucible. But they still had to go through it. It was the place of their testing. Now, the place may have gotten its name, Zarephath, because there was a smelting plant of some kind located there. But whatever the source of its name, Zarephath would have to be a crucible for Elijah. It would refine him and prepare him for future ministry. It was almost as if the Lord was saying to Elijah, 
I first took you to Corinth to wean you away from the bright lights and the public platform because he had access to the king and he was pronouncing these things to the king, which came to pass. And now everybody was looking for him. He said, Zarephath, or I'm sorry, Corinth is a place where I could cut you down to size and just reduce you to a man who would have to trust me completely to take care of him. But now I'm going to turn the furnace up a little bit and melt you and mold you into exactly the kind of man I need to carry out my mission. Notice, not Elijah's mission, God's mission. Again, there's a lesson there if you'll receive it, amen? If you have ears to hear, Hear what the Spirit's saying right now. Amen. The crucibles of our suffering and the challenges we face create a Christ-likeness in our life. That's what a crucible does under intense heat, intense pressure. It brings all the impurities to surface so they can be skimmed off leaving greater purity. That's why in the military, some of the most challenging obstacle courses or the most challenging job positions require some intense training before you can even enter advanced training, such as the Rangers or the SEALs or Delta Force or whatever. You must first go through an intense selection program, often called a crucible. It's designed to see if you have what it takes. They're trying to weed out the impurities from attending the advanced training so they don't waste their time and money training somebody who doesn't have what it takes. Amen? God knows what the future holds for his prophet. God knows the kind of strength that Elijah will need if he's going to stand strong. God knows what kind of load his prophet must be able to bear. God knows what you need in order to stand up and do what he's called you to do. And we see God sends Elijah to the crucible of Zarephath, where all of the remaining dross will be burned away. So the brook dries up. God tells Elijah, go to Zarephath. That's your place called there. Now, I'm sure Elijah was happy to get the order that it was okay for him to leave. I'm not sure he was happy about where he was being sent. For one thing, Zarephath of Sidon was located far to the west on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, about 100 miles from the brook Corinth. So that involved a long walk across open and unprotected land. Now remember, Elijah was a marked man. King Ahab was looking for him everywhere. Plus, Zarephath of Sidon was Jezebel's hometown. Her father was still king there. God was sending Elijah right into Jezebel's own backyard, so to speak. And I'm sure she still had close ties to some of the people there who would send her word if they knew Elijah was in town. 
God was sending Elijah on a mission that were, would require him, Elijah, to totally trust God for his protection on the way there and while he was there. Amen. So immediately Elijah had to put his trust in God as he journeyed from Kareth to Zarephath. Where would Elijah stay when he got to Zarephath? God said he had already made arrangements for Elijah to stay at the home of a widow woman. Now, I can imagine Elijah thinking if, if he was... If this was the day and time in which Elijah lived, today's day and time, most preachers would be like, a widow woman? Really? Why can't I stay in the palace of a king or a wealthy businessman? Why can't I stay with a successful farmer or a shepherd? I mean, all of this was part of Elijah's training. He had to trust and obey and be content where, where God was putting him. And as we've seen last time, we just threw some of the thoughts Elijah might have had as he was walking those several days, three, four days, to get to Zarephath. A widow woman. A widow woman. God's sending me to a widow woman who's going to take care of my ministry needs. Oh, 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 I see it now, God. Praise God. A widow woman, she must be loaded. She, she's got to be wealthy. God's sending me to a widow woman who's going to have a bunch of money she just inherited, probably from her dead husband, and now God's going to use her to grow my ministry? Oh, hallelujah, glory to God. And he picked up his step a little bit more. That'd be a minister today who God's trying to get off that concept of you need money to do ministry. That's what is wrong with most preachers today. They focus on the money and not the ministry. They think if I can get this much money, I can grow my ministry. Focus on the ministry, the growth will take care of itself, and the growth will provide the money you need. I need to go on TV. If I can go on TV, then I'll be able to get all this money coming in, because you see all these TV preachers with all this money. <clears throat> if God told you to go on television, the money would be there before you go. Amen. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Start where you're at. Pray. Fast and pray if you have to. Let God show you, is this your place called there? Are you doing what God told you to do? You may have deep roots in the community you're, you're located in. You may have been preaching in that church for 25 years. You're still at, you know, 20 people. But those 20 people have been faithful. They come every Sunday and Wednesday night. Praise God. They, they grew old with you. They're elderly now. 
Are there kids and their grandkids and all them attending your church? No. You may have had hundreds of people in your church 20, 25 years ago. Now you're down to 20. That could be a sign that you failed to obey God when he was trying to send you to another place. And even right now, if you pray and you realize, you know, 10 years ago, God told me to pack up and move to Arizona. But I didn't want to take the kids out of school. I had the church here. I didn't want to go through another rebuilding program. In other words, you told God, I know better than you. I'm not moving all the way across the country. I'm not taking my kids out of school. You don't, you don't know how much trouble it is to, to do all this, God. I mean, you're sitting up there in heaven and just command people, why don't you go here? I want you to go over here. Go over there. God, there's you know a lot of steps in the process of picking up from here and moving to a place called there. You just don't know what it takes, God. I mean, I have to wonder about all my friends and my family that's staying here. You know, I don't want to leave them. And you, when you think like that, you're basically telling God he doesn't know what he's talking about. You don't know, God. You just don't know. I know better. And 10, 15 years later, now you're in a church that has 20 people and they're on Social Security, so their offerings are down to like three, four, five dollars a week. And you're wondering what happened. If you're in a place where it seems like the blessings are not there, pray to God, ask Him to show you what's wrong. Many times, he will bring to your remembrance a command to do something or to go somewhere, and you decided he did not know what he was talking about, and you knew better. You see, your provision is in a place called there. Your provision is not where you are at right now. The, you may have some provision there because out of God's mercy, he doesn't want you to die of starvation. But the abundant provision is in a place called there. Wherever it was he told you to go. If he told you to go to and this is a real town, folks. <laughs> if he told you to go to Pie Town, New Mexico, it doesn't even have a one-stoplight town. Let's say it's a one-stop-sign town. If he told you to go to somewhere like that and build a church, in the natural, you'd think, why do I want to go there? I mean, there's not even a Walmart in that town. They got to drive three hours just to go to Walmart. 
Why would God want me to go out there and start a church? If that's where God told you to move, and the provision is being made for you to go, and you go, you are in the blessing. The blessing brings supernatural provision. You'll go there and everything's going to be all right. You may end up with a church of thousands attending. You may be the central pivot point in that town that begins the growth of that town. You may be that person God uses to touch the lives of an entire town. But if you look at what's in the natural and make your decision based upon the natural, you won't move. And if you don't move, you are not in your place of provision, a place called there. Think about that. Think about how important it is to obey God even in the smallest things as well as the important things. Amen. Thank you for that thunderous applause of silence. Praise God. All right. Back to 1 Kings chapter 17. The Bible says that Elijah went to Zarephath. And when he got to the town gate, he's seen a widow woman there gathering sticks. And he called to her. And asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I can have a drink? Now, number one, he sees this widow woman. He's wondering if she's the one. So he knows God said, I have commanded a widow woman to take care of you there. So... Water is a very precious commodity. There's a drought going on, a famine. So Elijah asked for something basically valuable. He asked her to fetch him a drink of water. Now, if she'd have been any other widow woman, she'd like, get yourself, a, get your own drink. But Elijah obeys God, puts himself in God's hand, and says, here's a widow woman. Let me see if she's the one. So he asks for a drink, and without saying anything, she goes to get him a drink. And as she is going to get him a drink, he said, oh, and uh, bring me something to eat, too. I mean, he's really putting the pressure on now. And that... Stop the woman in her tracks. Now, remember, God said, I have commanded this woman to take care of you. She knows Elijah is on his way. She knows the God of Israel has told her to take care of him. How? We went into this last time. They were probably in such a state of deep famine and the gods that they were worshiping and that Jezebel, remember this is Jezebel's hometown, so you know what's happening. 
they were not able to defeat the God of Israel and his decision to bring famine, the gods that Jezebel was commanding everybody to worship, they were not able to overcome the God of Israel and bring rain. I believe she got in such a strait that she decided, instead of praying to these other gods, she was going to pray to the God of Israel to save her and her boy's life. And when she prayed and put her trust in the God of Israel, God of Israel was taking care of her. Now, remember, this is Jezebel's hometown. She knows that this guy named Elijah, the king is looking for because we need him to stop this curse and pray for rain. She knows everybody is looking for Elijah. She knows housing and hiding Elijah could cost her her life and her son's life. But she puts her trust in the God of Israel. And then one day she sees this man coming who looks like the one that the king is looking for. So she says, this must be him. All right, I'll take care of him, God. And the man comes up and says, get me a drink. No problem. I'll get him a drink. And then he says, oh, and bring me something to eat. And that stopped her in her tracks right there. He says, let me tell you something. Now we're getting back into 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 10 through 12. It says, as surely as the Lord, and that's Jehovah Yahweh, as surely as the God of Israel, Jehovah Yahweh lives, I don't have any bread and I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little bit of oil in a jug. As a matter of fact, I'm out here gathering a couple of sticks to take home and make a little fire so I can cook this little bit of flour and oil and make a little cake for myself and my son. And once we eat that, it's over. We're just going to die in the famine. Now, can you imagine how Elijah felt? I mean, here he is, arriving in Zarephath. He encounters two immediate tests. First came the test of first impressions. And second came the test of physical impossibilities. As we already talked about, can you imagine what he must have thought as Elijah arrived and first encountered the widow woman who's going to take care of him? I can imagine it. Along the lines of the example I told you, if he thought she was going to be some wealthy widow, he sees her and the Lord tells him, this is the woman who's going to take care of you. I imagine he wasn't, you know, she... He wasn't much to look at either. I mean, for living over a year and a half or so in the wilderness, and then God told her, I'm sending you the prophet 
I need you to take care of him. Remember, she's not a Jew. She was a Gentile. She has no relationship with the God of the Jews. Like I said, she must have heard about Elijah and that the king of Israel is looking for him. And everyone was blaming this famine on him for he had prophesied this famine in the name of the God of Israel. And like I said, I can imagine as the, as the food was running out and the oil was running out and the water was dwindling down, people were dying of starvation all in that area. She was watching her son get skinnier and skinnier and she was going without food so he could eat. That's what mothers do. And it probably broke her heart to think about what was going to happen to her son she could go without if she could take care of her son. She didn't want to see her son suffer. Think about what you would be thinking about in a situation like that. And here she cries out to the God of the Jews. In desperation, she cries out and asks for his help. And she probably thought, if the God of the Jews can do this and totally defeat the God called Baal. Remember, this is supposed to be the God of nature. Rain and crops was his domain. That's the reason for the famine. So God could mock Baal. When God told her one of his prophets was coming, she must have thought, oh good, he will provide for me and my son. And then Elijah shows up, all dirty and filthy and not looking or smelling that good. Remember, in addition to living a year or so in the wilderness, with no haircuts, no tailored clothing, no soap or laundry detergent, and then walking across the hot desert area for four or five days, he probably was not exactly what she was expecting either. When God told Elijah, this is the widow woman. I mean, Elijah had his expectations popped as well. Here he is expecting this rich widow woman who would be able to provide for his ministry. She probably had this large house with, you know, comfortable rooms and things. You know, it wasn't what he was expecting. And then... Find out she was so poor, she was outside the gates or the protection of the city, picking up twigs without even a servant to help her. Well, so much for the rich woman theory. And he walks up to her, he probably says, you the widow woman God told me to come see? She stands up and looks at him and says, you the prophet? Yep. Now, Elijah must have been so thirsty and hungry. He asked the woman for a drink of water, and she goes to get it. He basically says, oh, make me a, a sandwich while you're at it. That's how we'd say it today. He asked for a cake while she was going. We, we'd be like, oh, bring me a sandwich or something. But her response basically was, my son and I are so destitute we are about to have our last little slice of bread or our little pancake where it really would be like a biscuit. She had enough to make one biscuit, what we call it today. And when we eat that, we're done. We'll just die of starvation like everyone else. I don't have enough to give you anything. 
This is what we basically tell our pastors, isn't it? Oh, I just stepped on some toes there. You didn't even see that one coming. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. As I say, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.